You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. If you would, go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been in this series that we are winding down in a couple of weeks. And I want to start with two stories this morning before we read. Every January, uh, a, a fundraising event called Walk for Wheezy takes place in uh, Cabot, Arkansas, where my daughter and her family uh, live. It celebrates the life of a nine-year-old granddaughter of ours, her daughter, uh, who died three years ago. Last month, Sarah and Clayton and the board of Walk for Wheezy presented a check, see the slide here, for $80,000 and change to the cardiovascular intensive care unit at the Arkansas Children's Hospital. So what our daughter, what these friends of hers, what her church and what the community of Cabot, Arkansas have done is take a terrible tragedy and turn it into something good that will expand um, helping many other people with heart problems. In the ceremony that took place, the, uh, the cardio um, pediatric specialist, Dr. Brian Ebel, Ebel uh, spoke before this check was presented. And he said, he, when he was thinking about Wheezy, he was with her, he was responsible for the last week of her life when she was unconscious. And he said this, when I think of Wheezy, I think of one word, leadership. And he said, it doesn't seem to fit a nine-year-old girl with heart problems to, to use the word leadership. But he says, I want to use leadership in a very different kind of a way than we normally think. I want to use leadership in the way that the United States Army defines leadership. He says, leadership is not command. He said, command is the authority a person has to lawfully exercise their will over their subordinates. At least that's how the Army defines it. That's not leadership. The U.S. military defines leadership like this. The process of influencing others to accomplish a mission by providing purpose, direction, and motivation. So leadership is influence. And then he asked the question, who does that remind you of? And everybody started laughing because that was our granddaughter. She walked into a room and the oxygen came into the room and she helped people see old things in new ways. And she's influenced hundreds and hundreds of people to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars for heart research. Um, and in that sense, uh, she was a leader. Leadership is influence. And if that's true, every person in this room is a leader of some kind. Because every person here influences. Think of the people in your sphere of influence. It's Father's Day. If you're a dad, you are a leader. The question is not, are you a leader? The question is, what kind of leader are you? A good leader or a bad leader? You'd have to be living under a rock not to be a leader to somebody to influence someone. So you might just think of the people in your life who have positively influenced you. In that sense, they've been leaders. Second story. Last week, I heard a pastor describe his um, experience when he was invited to a formal dinner for some leaders in another city, and he was seated at a table uh, next to a retired general uh, from the military. Um, and he said as the, as the meal went on, the general had several glasses of wine, probably drank a little bit too much, and began to talk about 
being a leader in Vietnam, he said, um, he said, the general said this, one night as a result of a terrible decision I made, a lot of men lost their lives. He said, I've carried that leadership mistake my entire life since then. And then he looked at the pastor beside him and he said, I don't know what you do for a living, but you ought to be glad that you're not a leader in the military because that's a life or death situation. So this pastor said, after the banquet was over, he went back to where he was staying. He was thinking about his life, thinking about what he heard. And he said, it dawned on them that church leadership is even more critical because it's not just life or death, it's eternal life or it's eternal death. That the stakes of church leadership are sky high. We think about it. That the leaders of a church are casual about the holiness of God, about the word of God, about the mission of God about the gospel, then church is, going to be, church is going to be casual about the holiness of God and the word of God and the mission of God and, and the gospel. But if a leader in a church is passionate about holiness and about God's word and about his mission for us, the church will tend to be passionate. People pick up the characteristics of their leaders. People follow leaders. Leaders influence. And they have a huge effect, not only in the local church, but potentially Thousands, maybe even, even tens of thousands, millions of people around the world. When a leader in church leads well, lost people get found. Found people grow up to their full potential in Christ. Lonely people get enfolded into a community. The poor get served. Bored people find a purpose for their life. The community in which the church is located finds new hope, new direction. The kingdom advances. Unbelievable things happen when church leaders step up and lead well. And unbelievable things happen when church leaders do not lead well. Last year, 6,000 churches in this country closed their doors for the last time and died. They tell us that 3,500 people every day leave church in America. Many will never return again. 3,500 a day. And when you think of the mission that God has given his church to take the gospel to the entire world, it doesn't sit real well. And a lot of the reasons why, not all, but many of the reasons why those churches have closed those doors and those folks leave has to do with local church leadership. Leadership is influence and the stakes are sky high. And it's not only in church, it's in a home. When parents lead well, unbelievable things happen in a family. Because kids pick up the characteristics of dad and mom. I watched a young family out here this morning, was visiting with them. The kids are confident. They have self-esteem. Boys reached out, shook my hand with firm grip. That's a reflection of the leadership in that home. And conversely, if in the home, parental leadership is not done well, unbelievable things, awful things tend to happen. So it's just critical. We get leadership right. So Peter writes some very strong words to local church leaders. And I want us to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. And I want you to read with bifocals. You know, when a guy or woman gets about 60, about 40 years old, 45 years old, they tend to begin to pick up bifocals. And I want you to read this and think about it 
in terms of two groups to apply to, church leadership and family leadership, because it's Father's Day. So think not only about church leaders, but think about dads and their leadership. So would you stand? We're going to read God's Word together. Stand in honor of God's Word. Where does a church leader learn to lead? Home. His family. First Timothy 3, Titus 1 says, if a man can't lead his family, well, what business does he have leading a church? And so I want you to think of not only what it says about church leaders, but about dads, family leaders, dads and moms. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is God's word and you can be seated. So we're going to answer four questions real quickly. Who are these leaders? What do they do? How do they do it? And why do they do it? Who are they? What do they do? How do they do it? Why do they do it? Question number one, who are they? He's called, they're, they're called elders. And if you don't come from a church background and you hear the word elder, it might stir up a, or elder council. You might be thinking, is it like a Jedi council? Is it, uh, you know, the, the kids, Mormon kids come to your door on Saturday morning? Uh, is that what we're talking about here? In the Old Testament, the elders were the gray beards. They were the senior men who exercised leadership in a tribe or in a community. They were known for their knowledge and years of life. When you move into the New Testament, the same word is carried over and applied over 20 different times to leaders in a local church. And the qualification moved from being age to spiritual maturity. So you read 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1, and it says church leaders, known as elders, are to be men of spiritual maturity, trustworthy, self-controlled. They ought to be the kind of men that when it's announced these are the elders, people go, well, of course, that, that's obvious. They're already doing that. This is who I go to if, if I have an, an, a need. And in this church, in the Orchard Church, we are an elder-led church. We're led by men who lead us and govern us. They walk with us. And you, the church, have the opportunity to nominate elders, to vet elders in a sense, to finally elect elders and then ordain elders. And elders in this church are not like this special forces kind of elite group of super intelligent people. They're spiritually mature men. They're men who love you. I want to serve you and serve you well. They're not a group who is so far beyond anything that any of us could ever hope for or aspire to. They're just trustworthy. They're, they're spiritual men. They're mature in their faith. And if someone is not mature in their faith, they have no business serving as an elder. Now, dads and moms lead families. And in a healthy family, 
You know, in an unhealthy family, sometimes the kids lead. But in a healthy family, mom and dad lead. They exert influence. They, they govern. They give oversight. They, they, they serve. They lead. I had a young couple I was talking to. They're getting ready to get married. And we talked about spiritual leadership in the home. And the man kind of raised his eyebrows. The young guy raised his eyebrows. And I said, let me ask you a question. In your workplace, wherever you work, what does a leader do? He thought for a moment. He said, well, they're just responsible. I said, bingo. I said, anything else? He said, well, they're usually the first to, they, they take initiative. I said, that's what, a, that's what a leader does. A leader assumes responsibility for a group, a flock, an organization, and a leader takes initiative. He sees that things get done. If elders are church leaders and parents are leaders in a family, then what do elders do? What do leaders do? Look at what it says. I exhort the elders among you as as a fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. So leaders are shepherds. Most of us did not grow up around sheep, but you don't have to grow up around sheep to get an idea of what shepherds do. They don't drive sheep. They they lead sheep. They they care for sheep. They they feed sheep. They, They help the sheep to get to pastures where they're safe. They, they guard the sheep. If a sheep becomes lost, they go looking for that sheep. If a sheep goes astray, if a sheep has a broken leg, they have helped to heal that broken leg. Now, that's a reminder of what Jesus once said in his parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one who's lost until he finds it? And when he founds it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Jesus says, everybody knows if you're a shepherd and you lose a sheep, you go looking for it. And one of the great blessings of being a member of a church is you come into a relationship with people who actually care for you. They know you. They love you. They want to serve you. They have your name. They're after your spiritual well-being. And so church becomes a place where you're cared for, where you're nourished. And it is a responsibility of elders to make sure that happens. Elders guard the church. They take the heat. That's the job of an elder. And dads are family shepherds. What shepherds do is what dads do in their family. What moms do. In their, they make sure the family's cared for. They protect the family. And they go after the strays when that happens. And it's a dangerous business to be a shepherd, either in a home or in a church, because you wear a target on your back, because Satan knows if he can bring you down, he can scatter the family, he can scatter the church. So leaders have to watch themselves, and leaders are told, even both in families and in in a church, guard your own heart, guard yourself, and guard the people that God has placed under your care. So leaders are stewards. In fact, he says, it's God's flock. They've been entrusted to you. So leaders wear that responsibility. Not only do they uh, shepherd, they exercise oversight. Did you catch that, what he said? The people who exercise oversight, oversight. So elders in a church look over the congregation, and they see what is happening, and they see what could happen if God's Spirit falls and people walk in obedience uh, to Him. Elders ask the question, how can we best accomplish what Jesus wants us to accomplish here? Where are we? Where do we need to go as a church? And are we all going in the same direction? 
elders want to see the whole church growing and healthy. So elders are more than a governing board of directors. It's not just a group of men who meet a couple of times a month and make operational decisions. Elders are among you, it says. Shepherd the flock among you. This is Don Grove sitting right over here, chairman of our elders. And Don has a favorite saying, and if I've heard him say it once, I've heard it a dozen times. Shepherds need to smell like sheep. Haven't you said that? Shepherds, which means we have to be out greeting you and loving you and praying for you and, and serving you. We have to know you. But if you're not a member of the church, we don't know if you're in the flock or not in the flock. So if you're a member here, you can expect to be known, to be prayed for, to be watched over, your soul to be in your heart to be watched over. It's one of the benefits, it's one of the important critical things about being a member of a church. And here's what's interesting. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 1 and 2. I exhort the elders among you, and then verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So there are three words that are used, elders, overseers, and shepherds, or it's the word pastor. Say the same thing in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, maybe on the screen. Paul says, now from Miletus, he he sent to Ephesus, he called the elders of the church to come to him. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to pastor it. So an elder is an overseer, is a pastor. In fact, one of our current elders, when he was coming to a first elders meeting, he said, let me get this right. Like, like I'm a pastor? I said, that's exactly right. And so he's been acting as a shepherd, as a pastor does. This last year, our elders met in a retreat and uh, we said, where should we be going as a church in the next few years? What should our priorities be? Where is God leading us? And so we said, well, what has Jesus told us to do? And as we sat and we opened our Bibles and we looked, we saw the great commandment where Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself, Matthew, Matthew 22. We're to be loving God. We're to be shepherding people, loving people. And then someone else said, well, what about here in Matthew 28 where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. That, that's a great commission. So you got the great commandment and the great commission. And someone in the group said, how about this? A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. Yeah. So those are our priorities as an elder for the elders, leaders here for the foreseeable future. We want to shepherd well, and we want to create a disciple-making culture where people are not only reached, but they're cared for and they grow up to their full potential in Christ. And we're trying to figure out how do we do that well? And how can we do it better? So we've asked the deacons to come in and join us with this. And we'll be asking uh, this fall for community group leaders to help us to know who's in the church, what's the situation, how they're doing in their families, and join us in praying and, and in serving them. So where does a leader learn to, where does a church leader learn to do that? He learns it in his home. All families stand for something. All families, your family is known for something. What is that? And who determines that? The family leaders do. What are we we going to be known for? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about family? What do we believe about the culture around us? Leaders ask those questions. What are the expectations we have for our children? 
What are the expectations we have for ourselves? Who's going to discipline the children? How are they going to do it? For what and when will they do it? Is our family going to go to church? How involved are we going to be in church? How are we going to participate in the community? How are we going to minister as a family? And what about social media? You know, entertainment, television, the, the internet. What are the guidelines they're going to be? That's a hundred questions that family leaders and church leaders ask to be able to oversee and give guidance and direction well. What about finances? How do we view money in our family? Saving, spending, how do we make those decisions? What about retirement? What about insurance? And dads have a special responsibility to take the initiative along with their wife and take responsibility for those kinds of decisions being made in a family. So elders and dads are shepherds. We give oversight and, and we teach. In fact, if you look in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you look at the qualifications for being a church elder, a church leader, the only thing extraordinary about those qualifications is they are not extraordinary. They're just characteristics of spiritually mature people except for one thing. Elders have to have the ability to teach, to teach God's Word, whether from a stage or in a small group or one-on-one, or -on -one. which means the elders in this church set the boundaries of what we believe as a church and what is taught from the stage. They carry that responsibility. And dads, you have that responsibility to teach. What's important? Life philosophy. Why do we do what we do in this family? How do you walk with God? How do you have a quiet time? How do you share Christ? Life skills. Dads have a responsibility to teach a boy to tie a tie, to handle your bank account, to change a flat tire. You know, kids don't get those kind of practical life skills. They, they grow up feeling incompetent, embarrassed. They don't know what, but you let a child grow up learning practical life skills taught by mom and dad. There's a sense of confidence. I can handle this. I got this. I know what to do. What to do on a date. I told my daughters when they began dating, I said, if you are ever uncomfortable on a date, you tell them. My dad may be a pastor, but he is the meanest son of a gun you have ever met in your life. And he will rip you apart if you touch me. My daughters looked at me and said, that's what I'm here for. That's my job as a dad. We teach responsibility to our, our, our children. In my mind, I've got, this, I've got this memory of Charlie, our youngest son. He's 16, 17 years old. It's, it's, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and he's out at, a, at his car speaking, or at a car speaking to some of his buddies out there. And he says, hey, let's invite somebody over. And so what's his phone number? It, well, it's 911. And so Charlie dialed 911 and the other numbers. And the 911 operator came on and said, what is your emergency? He said, oh, I was by accident. So I hung up the phone said, I'm so sorry. I hung up the phone. About five minutes later, a police car comes running, rushing by our house. Lights on. It's a rookie, his second day on the job. And he gets out and he says, who dialed 911? That's a felony. You are under arrest. And he is reading the riot act. And I'm looking out the window. So I walked out there. What's going on? And the policeman said, hey, they committed a crime. They dialed 911 without an emergency. They're lugging up the system. I said, and Charlie is arguing with him. <laughs> no surprise if you know Charlie. <laughs> He's arguing with the guy. And uh, I said, officer, may I talk to my son just a moment? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, pulled him, I pulled Charlie over and I said, Charlie, 
The difference between a boy and a man is a man assumes responsibility for what he's done, even if it's unintentional. A man assumes responsibility. And Charlie, okay. So he woke up back, back to the police officer. Officer, I take full responsibility for what I did. And this police officer was just kind of uh, caught off guard. I'm going to call my captain. So he calls his captain and overheard the captain say, give me a break. Let the kid go. No big deal. So he turned back to Charlie and said, don't you ever do that again. Got in his car and left. Dads help kids. What do you do with a bully? How do you treat a woman? How do you treat a man? That's what dads do. They teach. They teach. So elders and dads are shepherds. We're overseers. We teach. We're spiritually mature. You say, well, does that mean elders are untouchable? Like they're this high council that you can't ask questions to? Uh, they're above being uh, questioned? No, not at all. Elders are accountable. They're accountable to the church. They're accountable not only to the Lord and to one another. They're accountable uh, to the church. And the Bible tells us how to handle an elder that we think is not eldering well. There's a process. Matthew 18 says, if you see a brother or sister caught in some kind of a sin, you go to them privately and engage them personally. Hey, see, this happened. This is not right. And if they don't respond, Matthew 18 says, you take two or three people with you and say, hey, there's a couple of us. We're concerned about this. This is not only with elders. This is with anybody that you have this disagreement with or you see some brother or sister caught in stumbling in some kind of sin. Well, what if that doesn't work? 1 Timothy 5 says, if you bring a charge against an elder, a church leader in the church, do it with two or three other people. Hey, here are the facts. We're all agreeing about this. If that doesn't work, you broaden the circle then. This is how you engage not just an elder, but anyone who's a brother and sister. Elders are not a good old boy system that protects one another can't be that. We're accountable. In fact, Hebrews 13 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. In other words, the weight is on the church as well. Don't beat these people up for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Someday I will personally have to stand before Jesus Christ and I will give an account of my leadership in his bride, his church. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. They're trying to serve you. They're trying to help. They're, they're going to make mistakes. But it's no advantage to you if you beat up on them, he says. So elders oversee. They, they shepherd. They teach. They're accountable. How do they do it? How do elders do what they do? Well, he says three things. He says, not under compulsion. That's verse 2. Not because they have to. Not because they feel guilty if they don't. Not because someone is demanding. But willingly as God would have you. Why would someone be unwilling to serve as an elder? Maybe they don't feel qualified. Maybe it's because it's messy. Peter's writing to people who are under persecution. And they're suffering. And, and he says in the chapter before, John mentioned this last week. A judgment is coming, and judgment begins with the house of God. And if judgment begins with the house of God, it begins with leaders first. And someone might say, I, 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 I don't want to do that. 
Here's the reality. Every single person in this room, everyone in this church struggles with something. You are fighting a battle on some battlefield. It may be greed, it may be pride, it may be the need to control, it may be lust. You're fighting a battle. And elders are to walk alongside you and love you and serve you and help you. And that gets really, really messy. And sometimes you just get tired of doing that. But he says, don't do it because you have to find your delight in Jesus and do it as he wants you to willingly. And he says, don't do it for selfish gain. From the beginning of uh, the New Testament, missionaries and pastors have been supported by churches financially. And it's a great privilege, but it also brings a lot of pressure when the church pays your salary. And in our elder group, we have two paid staff, myself and John, and we have others, who, men in the church, who, who are not paid, part, not part of the staff. I had a professor once said this, you need to decide before you go into the ministry how important money is to you. If you don't do that now, it will haunt you the rest of your life. In other words, if you're a leader, don't serve for what you get out of it. You serve for what you can put into it. You're eager. So pray for our leaders, would you? Pray that we will serve willingly. Pray that we will serve eagerly. And and pray for dads around here, that we will do what we do as dads willingly and eagerly, not because we just have to do it. Eagerly. If it's date night with my wife, and I, I think, oh, crud, it's date night again. All right, what do you want to do? I'm not going to five guys again. Wait, wait. Do you think she feels delighted? Do you think she feels warm and loved? No, not at all. But if I, if I say, I can't wait to get face-to-face time with my wife tonight. I am so looking forward to the time that we're going to have together just to, to talk and, and share. She feels loved. She feels delighted. So Peter says, when you serve, it's not for what you get out of. And in fact, if you look for appreciation from people as a leader, whether it's your home or in the church, you're not going to get it. Your payoff's not here. Your payoff is later. We're served willingly. We're served eagerly. And he says, not domineering, not lording it over people. Most of us like to tell people what to do. Most of us feel this real need to tell people how to do things. That's command. That's not leadership. Leadership is influence. It's, you lead by example, he says. And there is no greater stumbling block in a church than a leader who says one thing and lives another way. And there's no greater stumbling block in a family than a mom and dad who says one thing and they practice something totally different. Leaders set the pace by being an example. So why do they do it? I got to close. Why do they do it? What's their motivation? Verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter says there's a crown and it's not made of gold. I cannot, um, I don't like the idea of walking around with a lump of gold on my head for all of eternity. That doesn't sound inviting to me at all. It's a crown of glory. It's the idea of hearing Jesus say, well done, well done. In fact, in the Old Testament, God says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who serve well, either as parents or in church life, will be highly honored in God's presence forever. And that honor will never fade away. That's the payoff. I got to thinking about this. 
Leaders are like sheepdogs. In a family or in a church, we're like sheepdogs. Some sheepdogs run around, they jump up and down, they make the flock neurotic, nervous. Other sheepdogs keep their eye on the chief shepherd. We're all under shepherds. They keep their eye and they do exactly what the shepherd wants them to do. Those are the good ones, the kinds we want to be, keeping our eye on the chief shepherd. You know, when you live with the text for a while, you kind of get a sense of what might be in the background behind that text. And I think when Peter wrote this, he was thinking of the last thing Jesus ever said to him. He denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus sitting by a fire talking with Peter, he reaffirms him three different times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the, the highest form of love, the love that doesn't look for anything in return. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses a word that means I'm fond of you. Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. The second time he says, Peter, do you love me? Using the highest word. And Peter says, I'm, I'm fond of you, Lord. And a third time, just like three denials, a third time Jesus said, are you really fond of me? He uses Peter's word. And Peter says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Peter has learned from his failure he has learned he's not what he needs to be and wants to be. And I'm so, I'm drawn to this over and over when I feel underqualified as a dad or I feel underqualified as a, an elder. And I think I've had such a failure of a week. I have blown up I've, I've this stuff in my, who am I to be an, an elder? And I hear Jesus saying to me, like he says to Peter, I understand. I know your heart. I know you love me. You don't have to work your way back into my good relationship. You don't have to spend six months of probation in order for me to use you again. Just get about the business of tending my sheep. And that's what Peter says to elders. Despite your weaknesses, despite your failures, despite your inability, I know your heart. Get about shepherding my sheep. And that is what Jesus says to dads and moms. I know how you feel. I know you don't feel qualified. I know you get really, really down because of your failures. I know your heart. I know you love your family. I know you love me. So get about the business of shepherding my flock.